Welcome to a Story of Hope episode. These episodes are meant to share the real-life journeys of others who have or are walking out their loss of a loved one. You know, the movies we see on TV do a real good job of highlighting before to after, but the truth of how things turn out lies in the middle. I'm so thankful for the women who are willing to share their stories because their losses may be more similar to yours than mine, and a word from them may give you a revelation of something that could really help you. The daily grind, the endless days of tears, the fear of never getting better, those battles, they're one in the middle, and those battles are what we rarely see. Media, be it social or other, gives us unrealistic pictures of what is happening in real life. So when we compare our situation to those, we end up feeling worse. In this episode, Jane shares her story of losing her husband, Dan. He survived and was healing from a double lung transplant, which is a miracle in itself, but then died in an unexpected way. She'll share the many ways that God's presence was made known in their journey and the hope that only God can give now as she grieves his death. Hey friend, welcome to the Grief to Great Day podcast. Do you feel like you're going crazy? Is the shower the only place for you to really cry? Are you surrounded by people, but you still feel all alone? Do you want to be the you you were before your loved one died, but you have no idea how to get there? I'm Steph Cabanis, Southern by choice, wife, turtle triathlete, Jesus follower, and fellow traveler in the journey of grief. I too struggled to breathe, questioned God and my faith, and thought I would never be happy again. But God took my brokenness and he turned it into a breakthrough. So if you're ready to understand how to navigate grief, lean into your faith, and take just one step towards healing, then bring your ugly cry, get into a comfortable place, even if that's your bed right now, and let the healing begin. Girl, there's hope for your future. Come on in the house and join me on the couch. I'm Steph, and this is Grief to Great Day. And we have company today, so thank you for being here. I hope you feel welcomed and heard through this podcast. Hello to everyone listening in Egypt, our spotlight country this week. And California remains the state with the most downloads. You're still rocking it, California. I hope this is just a reminder that whatever state or country you are in, you don't feel alone as you walk through this thing called grief. I want to share a little bit about our guest today, Jane Tour, and then I'm going to let her get right into it as she shares her story. This episode is actually part one of two, and the second one will be released on Sunday. So today should be Thursday, and then Sunday will be part two. Jane and Dan Tor were married 40 years, and their plan was to grow old together. But God had a totally different plan that rocked their world. Dan was promoted to heaven August 14, 2021. Through her grief journey, she came to accept that God has a plan, and it's not her plan. It is his plan, and she believes he has a purpose for her in his plan. She chooses to look back and see all the ways that God was working for their good in his plan. And that gives her hope. 
Jane knows that God is sovereign and he is always good and she can trust him. So to God be the glory. Jane Tor is a retired hospital-based speech-language pathologist. She loved treating stroke survivors and the traumatic brain injured population. Jane is blessed with three daughters and their families who continue to support her through this journey of grief. She's thankful for friends who are just present and allow her to navigate this journey of grief. And a special thanks to Pastor Dina Kennedy and messages from her church, also my church, Open Door, that have helped her lean into God and his truth. And here's Jane. Hey, I'm Jane Tour, um, and I wanted to thank Steph for letting me be on this podcast, and this is just a, a God story. Um, it's got some real interesting twists to it, and, you know, sometimes we have our own story, but really you have to look back and you can see that, if you choose to, you can see God working, and so this is kind of a long story, but I'm going to go ahead and share it. Um, my husband passed away August 14th, 2021, but there was a beautiful part about that ahead of time. You know, we were going to our daughter's wedding in 2009, and he had a cough. And um, what are the chances that the, the best man's wife is a physician? And so um, Dan had been seeing someone else for his cough, but when we got back to Indiana, we were from Indiana, he hooked up with this doctor, and this physician ordered a CAT scan of his lungs. And so there was just a note on his lungs, and so we were just watching that, and then about six months later, he had a repeat cascade of his lungs, and um, I'm a retired speech-language pathologist, and uh, I was doing a swallow study and x-ray, and so I asked the radiologist, I said, hey, can we look at Dan's CAT scan? I want to see if that node's gone. So we looked at it, and he said, oh, I'm so sorry. I said, what? He said, he's got IPF. And I've been in the hospital a long time, but I did not know what that was. That is uh, idiopathic pulmonary fibrosis. So it's a scarring of your lung tissue. But, you know, that was God leading us to change physicians. So I'm, I'm so thankful for that. And so we ended up starting seeing a pulmonologist uh, in our local community. And, you know, God's so good because what are the chances of having a girlfriend that's a golfing buddy of mine, and it turns out her husband had idiopathic pulmonary fibrosis, and he had received a lung transplant. And so, you know, God just puts people around you. And so my verse for, for back then, my Bible verse was, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding and he will direct your paths. And so he was directing our paths because we didn't know, but we were told that Dan had um, three to five years to live with that diagnosis of IPF. So I said to him, you know, if that's all you have, let's make the most of it because Indiana's got cold weather for like six months. And so let's move down to Carolina's and we had visited Charleston in August to go on a golfing vacation. I guess we just didn't realize that there was so much heat in the South in August, especially South Carolina. But anyway, uh, we decided to look for jobs for me, especially looking for a hospital job. So we looked for houses down here, and Dan's like, well, you know, he, he wanted a, a three-bedroom brick house with a basement. 
Well, those just aren't existent in in uh, Greenville, at least. And uh, so I actually remember going out with him, and he goes, "Can you live here?" And I said, "Yeah, I can." Right. And so I had at the time I had accepted a job at Biden, which was a blessing as a speech pathologist. So he thought maybe we'd just live apart. We were praying about that, and he had gotten me some iPad for Christmas, and our girls thought, well, mom can't work on that. She doesn't have enough technical skills. But anyway, I went ahead and looked at the iPad and I said, well, what's important to us? It's God and we love golf. So I looked and I found this home um, on the golf course and uh, a patio home. And so uh, we had planned to golf that day. And so we called our realtor and said, hey, here's a house we want to look at. So when we got done golfing, uh, we looked at the house and we made an offer the next day and it got accepted. And so we, we moved here. And so um, that's an important part of our story, too, because God has certainly surrounded us with friends and neighbors that have been so supportive to me during this journey. And another good thing is Dan had always been in finance. And so he did that in Indiana. And right before we were leaving Indiana, he had started his own uh, business. It was called Tours Home Maintenance. But that was a blue collar town. So when he came here, he again started Tours Home Maintenance, and um, that was just so great for him because he was able to exercise his lungs, and you need to be able to have strong lungs. And when we moved down here, part of the idea, too, was we had learned about lung transplants, so we kind of wanted to be near Duke to do that. Interestingly, too, I was just so glad that I was a speech pathologist and that I, I knew all felt like I knew lots of things and God was leading me. Um, Dan's oxygen sats were declining. I said to the pulmonologist at the hospital, I said, well, he's trimming bushes and his oxygen is dropping. And he said, well, he's not ready for a lung transplant. So I went to see that physician and I said, well, you know what? We want to go to Duke. Well, he's not ready. And so, you know, I just, God just led us. And I said, Dan, just still get your records and we'll go. So we referred ourselves to Duke. He was able to um, still, he was, he was able to uh, go ahead and get a, an evaluation at Duke uh, in 2016, and it's a three-day eval, and uh, they do three-day evals and five-day evals, and they said he wasn't in his, quote, window to uh, get his lung transplant, but that he needed to um, start wearing his oxygen, and that was hard because, you know, it's a visible sign of something that is wrong and um, these oxygen tanks get delivered on your porch and nobody really knew Dan was sick. He didn't act sick. He had this awful cough. Um, but you know we're we're still not really um, we've got friends but then you have acquaintances too and we wanted just the friends to be the friends. And so uh, it's interesting that oxygen got delivered I think December 11th 2016 and we were part of another church at the time, and there was going to be a gathering of our small group. And I said to Dan, I said, well, you know what? I said, look at God's timing. I said, you can wear this oxygen to this small group, and they don't even know that you're sick. So he wore the oxygen, and it, was a, it wasn't one of those little, little containers either, right? You'd like to have a little one. No, this is a really big, obvious C-sized metal container, uh, and Dan wore it on his back with a backpack. And so we're walking into this party like this, and we shocked everybody. But um, 
that group was just very supportive of us. Um, and so, again, that's that's God's perfect timing. He had provided people to care for us. And then, you know, what's nice is that what a blessing that Dan could keep his lungs from 2009 to 2019. Um, because, you know, when you get a lung transplant, I just thought it'd be like a kidney transplant. And you can just, oh, I'll just donate a lung. Well, it doesn't work that way. Um, they want you to keep your lungs as long as you can. So he was able to keep his lungs for 10 years and be in good shape. And so in April of 2019, he went down for a five-day lung transplant evaluation, and he made the cut, so to speak. So just because you move down there, which we did, you have to find a place to live for at least six months. You got to do rehab. It doesn't mean that you're necessarily going to get lungs because you could be declining as you're um, doing your rehab. And, and at that time, too, you had to find, I had to find a backup caregiver. Well, that's not, you might think that that would come from your family, but it was, did not work out with our family. We have three daughters and they just were not able to do that. So we're like, what are we going to do? And so we asked the um, guy in the, our wedding and this couple, Bob, he agreed to uh, be Dan's backup caregiver. And they're from Indiana and they had introduced Dan and I. And so uh, what a blessing that was too. So I went retired uh, in April of 2019. We moved down there, and uh, when we moved to Durham, what was going to be important is that we found a church home to worship with. And so we visited church. It wasn't a good fit. Then we visited New Hope Church in Durham. And again, when we introduced ourselves and said our situation, they said, wait a second, we know somebody that had a family member with a lung transplant. we got to meet that person. So again, God is just it's just so comforting to know that God is with you on this path. So we went ahead and before Dan's, we started rehab and stuff, I had started praying that we would want this journey to be a walk with Jesus. And we wanted to show others what, what's it look like to walk through a health crisis with Jesus, you know, because it, it, uh, it says in, James 1, 2, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. So let perseverance finish its work so that you can be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. You know, it's one thing to say that, but it's another thing to believe it. And uh, we are supposed to have trials. Sometimes we just don't want them and you don't know what trial you're going to get. But this was our trials. Dan started praying that too. Let's just show people what it's like to, to walk with Jesus through a health crisis because we're going to hang on to our faith. So when we moved down to Durham, um, you have all these um, lung transplant uh, classes for the caregivers and the patients after they do their pre-air rehab. So every day we had a class, it seemed like, and you learn all the things. You learn all the risks. Um, you learn how to um, do the med box by doing beads. Right, but it's a short class. You learn that the patient might get diabetic, you learn all the risks that they could get skin cancer, all the things that could go wrong. Because when you meet with the surgeon, they say to you, you know, you're going to get one lung transplant because Dan was um, 67, and because of his age, he would get one, and it'd be a double lung transplant. But these lung transplants only last five years, average expe life expectancy. So they said the first year you do rehab, live your life year two, three, and four, because year five, most people pass away. So certainly there are some people that are less than that, and some people 
more than that, but that's the average life expectancy. And we were willing to accept all those risks. You know, I was just, the caregiver role is so important and it's just so overwhelming too. But, you know, I was just really blessed to be a speech pathologist, you know, and I thank God that he knows each of our days because he said one of the other verses that I, I was claiming is that your eyes saw Psalm 139.16, your eyes saw my unformed body and all of my days were uh, ordained for me and written in your book before they came to pass. And that's an important scripture to hang on to even now, because sometimes life gives us things that we don't want. So I already knew that Dan knew this story. He, he knew that Dan would be an, uh, need an advocate, uh, one that wasn't afraid. And, you know, I wasn't afraid because I really had this peace that passes understanding the entire time. And there was a lot of stuff that did not go right. And the only thing I prayed for was that I wouldn't get lost because I have no sense of direction. And um, I could get lost in a paper bag. Couldn't get find my way out of a paper bag, so to speak. And so I didn't get lost so either. So that was just, that was awesome. And I really had a peace. And, you know, uh, during those lung transplant classes, you meet other caregivers. And even then, God puts you with the right people. You just have to show up and be faithful. And I remember the first group I met was a gal named Jennifer, another Christian. And we both boldly just shared our faith. And it turns out Dan was doing that in pre-rehab. And so, again, God puts people around you. But I was not afraid to share my faith. And there were all kinds of faiths there. So in the end of his pre-rehab, and he had you have to keep exercising. And so what you know is that you might have a dry run uh, when you have this lung transplant. So that means you go to the hospital, they prep you, they think that the lungs are good, but then they're not, and you go back home. And um, so Dan was listed May 23rd. And usually after you're listed, at least at Duke, uh, you often get your lungs in about two weeks. So Dan had a dry run on May 31st, and he, we had to go back home. And again, I'm thankful that those lungs and the doctors realized that those lungs were not appropriate for Dan. So we just um, kept waiting, and he actually had to wait a little bit longer. Uh, so he kept doing rehab. He had to keep waiting because his blood type was uh, zero and uh, or type O and more of a rare type. And the size of his lungs needed to be smaller because Dan wasn't wasn't that tall. I think it's about 5'9". So on July 2nd, Dan's doing his rehab and uh, it's about one o'clock and then his, so it's about noon and he calls and says, hey, they've got lungs for me. He says, we need to be in the hospital at two. He says, but I'm going to finish my workout. So he did. And that's just the kind of guy he was going to be, uh, just a hard worker. So we show up at the at Duke at two and we were there all day and about 11 o'clock at night. They said it was a go, and uh, he was able to uh, really talk to all three of our girls. And we prayed for that family's donor and just so thankful for this miracle. And we prayed Jeremiah 29, 11, which says, For I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you hope in the future. And actually, I have that cross that I had gotten, and I took that to the hospital with us. Uh, during his hospital stay. So then he has this lung transplant, and I guess I didn't understand one part. When we when he has a lung transplant, he um, 
ended up being on ECMO and they started talking about ECMO and I was trying to rack my brain about what that was and what it is is a like an artificial heart lung machine and so he was on that and the typical route was supposed to be that um, you have your lung transplant you get extubated the next day and then you start walking well he wasn't waking up from that ECMO and um, it was about four days and finally the when I see nurse, I see your nurse said, well, you know what we're going to have to do is take away all his pain medicine. So he did. He was just in such pain. And but I'll tell you what, it was one morning and it was about four days later and he wakes up. Right. And that was just awesome. And he started following some some one step commands. And then so here I am, speech pathologist. What a blessing I am to a speech pathologist so just had this knowing that he needed a communication system because he was in ECMO but he still had the breathing tube so I was able to make a, I had already brought a dry erase board and made the own own communication board and that was just that was great and so July 9th I think he had his breathing tube taken out and it's just a blessing and you know after that lung transplant it was I can't imagine how overwhelming it is for some of the wives you have 11 tubes in you including a feeding tube but I was still all peace at that, all, all peace. Um, and actually, he was able to start walking July 9th, and he had that lung transplant, and he walked about 150 feet. We had some challenges, though. He started hallucinating and seeing bugs, and they said, you'd be doing that. And he, he was, uh, his heart was out of rhythm. He had to get cardioverted, which is where they, they stood at the end of the bed and put some paddles on his um, chest and Thankfully, he was able to tolerate that. A big challenge for him, though, was is that he, they had a feeding tube in, artificial feeding tube, right? And so nasogastric tube to feed him. Well, his stomach wasn't opening. His pylorus wasn't opening, so they couldn't feed him. And they ended up having to put a gastrostomy tube in, feeding tube in his stomach. And so he went... It, a total of 11 days without any nutrition because that whole system was not working. And again, though, you know, you have to do video swallow studies and that type of thing for patients that can't eat or drink. And I was very familiar with that process. So it was nice for me to be able to align myself with the, the other speech pathologists. And finally, he was able to just go ahead and, and start eating. And so that was that was awesome. And it wasn't the food that he wanted. It was some thickened liquids. But it was, at least it was nutrition. And I think they gave me a little bit of leeway because I did say I was a speech pathologist and was able to demonstrate the skills. And so I was able to work with him and make, help him get his muscles stronger. We spent about 11 days in the ICU. And first night in the ICU, they come in and they say, are you okay, Mr. Tour? And he goes, yeah, why? Well, you're an atrial flutter again. So I had to go get cardioverted again. Thankfully, it only took... Um, one time. And so Dan's doing, uh, getting some chest tubes out. I think he had six chest tubes total. And so he was able to do his physical therapy, his occupational therapy. Finally, um, and I was able, I was so blessed um, to be able to just to stay in the ICU uh, and at the hospital. So I spent every night there. Finally, on July 14th, I went home for a little bit. Dan had got me some chocolates that were there. And um, I want to just read his card. Uh, he came home to find his chocolates. It says, I love you so much and could not make this journey without you. We are both 
so very determined individuals that God has made us. I believe we are honest and direct, which is sometimes a hard pill to swallow because our love is so great. So he had got me um, these chocolates from French Broad Chocolate that I love. It was super. Well, then in July, um, we, we know that lung transplant patients can end up getting drug-induced diabetes. And so uh, in July, he started getting some insulin shots. And so I just knew I needed to be able to use my camera on my uh, phone and just videotape how to do that. And uh, I think God was leading me to do that. I was able to demonstrate those insulin shots because I knew he'd be going home with those. And yet you just have to be, have to just jump in there and do those things. And, and wasn't afraid, you just do it. And Dan was having some real blood pressure issues and he had walked and almost passed out. But they were eventually able to figure that out. He ended up having a DVT too. And in all this time, we had our daughter from Raleigh, Erica, was coming and bringing some food and uh, helping with some exercises. And then um, our daughter, Ashley, uh, from Indiana, she was able to come in July as well. And that was helpful because I got to, to go home for a little bit and do some laundry. And she brought her dad some Chick-fil-A, which he thought was just like heaven. Of course, he wanted that all the time then, which he could not have because of his diet. Um, and then that was all good. And then finally we were able to, he was able to go outside for the first time at the beginning of August. And that sunshine was just felt so good. And he was working and doing all his exercises and they came in, pharmacy came in in August and showed us how to do the pill box. Well, it's one thing doing the pill box with beads and it's a whole nother thing doing it with all these medicines, uh, because he had like probably 65 pills he was taking a day. And as a caregiver, you just felt like you had to get it right because otherwise you would just felt like you're probably going to kill him if you didn't get it right. And so he was finally able to come home after 34 days, home meaning the apartment, on August 5th. And what you have to realize with lung transplant too is there's some oxygen deprivation. So the cognition isn't the best. So obviously I was going to take care of the medicine. And all that. And Dan still had to do rehab. Well, he wanted to treat himself um, and give himself a reward. So he went and um, got a truck. He, bought, he got the truck that I still drive um, in August, too. And he was willing to deal on that truck. And that's good. He couldn't drive it home, but I drove it. And his daughter, Lisa, our daughter, uh, came in August, too, August 12th. That was such a relief because it's a whole new set of rules once you're in the hospital you've got everybody else telling you what to do and once you're back at the apartment though it's your wife telling you what to do and that's just hard because you just want to do life and uh, so it was nice that Lisa was there because I was really just having a hard time organizing the meds because what happens is is you think you've got you've got all these meds in the meds box and then they make a medicine change well then you've got to dig out what you don't need and add what you do need. And there's lots of white colored pills and it's just stressful. And so I was so thankful that she could come for that too. And then another thing that happened was we were told everybody gets rejection. And so um, Dan in mid-August, uh, we were at the apartment and they said he had a uh, rejection. And again, the home health nurse came out and I was able to just take pictures and I did that infusion at home for three days and 
I didn't necessarily get it totally right, but I called and they said that was that was okay. I, I put the wrong tube in the wrong place. And so that was good. And so he ended up getting his staples removed from his chest. He had just tons of staples. They just open you up like a car hood and they lift your cavity up and then they close you that way and put staples all the way across. So uh, we had some friends from our church come down in August and we were able to go out to eat a little bit. And then that hurricane came through and we're at the apartment and it's in September and my neighbor that was watching our house, uh, I said, can you go look and see if there's any water damage? Well, she calls and she says, Jane, I walk into your garage and there's just water floating down. But it turns out it wasn't the hurricane. It was the uh, toilet, toilet bowl float in the toilet that had broken and was flooding the garage in our bonus room. And I call my, and mind you, the has not been on the hospital that long. And she goes, my daughter calls from Indiana. She says, Mom, can you do this? Can you call the insurance company? I said, I don't know who our insurance company is, right? I said, I can't manage that. And again, it's such a blessing that um, Dan did home maintenance because he was able to cognitively get it together enough to call his workers that he knew that did things. And Jim and Audrey across the street just uh, helped. They just took hold and cleaned up the carpet upstairs and helped with the garage. And so all of that just got taken care of by the time we by the time we got home. I think the house was done right before we got home. And the couples that moved us down in April moved us back home. We got back home home on October 25th. And my husband, believe it or not, was on a ladder October 31st, cleaning, cleaning out gutters. And I'm just like... Okay, what are you doing? He's, you know, but that that would be him. He's doing all the leaves in December. Um, it was, it was, you know, it was all good. Uh, we had these wonderful friends, Thad and Aaron, next door. Um, again, God put us here in the right community. They watched our dog Sadie after we got home for all these trips. But Ashley in Indiana had offered to take Sadie, so Sadie had lived. Uh, with Ashley and Ryan and Finley and Hudson and uh, Dominic for, for like three months in Indiana. But our neighbors, we knew would be taking trips back and forth to Duke. Uh, Aaron and Dad were just so faithful to just keep Sadie all the time. And so it was just uh, so helpful for us. And so things are going along and, you know, we were just blessed with all all of this and we're able to do some Christmas with all three girls, uh, with a couple girls in Raleigh in January, in, in Christmas, uh, Christmas, and then um, what happens is is we were able to, February, I think we took a trip to Tampa, and uh, there was no COVID then, so that was nice, and we got to see that lung transplant friend that God had put in our lives years ago, and uh, he's doing great, and Dan and him went fishing, and so that was just a, an awesome thing, and then um, what we noticed, though, was I forgot to say this. I, I knew that there there was a knowing in my heart before we left the hospital that I needed a um, transplant dermatologist. So I talked to the head of the transplant team because I remember that during the classes that there was a, a chance that you could get skin cancer with transplant. And Dan didn't have any skin cancers, but I thought, I just want to get hooked up with this person. And so we made sure that we did that. And so we saw that person... Um, 
before we left Durham, and there was no skin cancers. We just knew that we just needed to watch that. Well, when we got back, and it was like March of 2020, I noticed some skin spots for Dan. And so we, it was COVID though, which is awful. Uh, and we were able to see the transplant dermatologist, and we were supposed to get a Mohs surgery. He was supposed to get a Mohs surgery, but that got postponed because of COVID. And so skin cancer can grow uh, really quickly. And he ended up um, getting his Mohs surgery not till April. And so there's always that thought in your mind, okay. So he had that surgery, and then he had some another Mohs, I think, in June. We're sending some pictures in July, and then Dan was doing so well. And then in August, we just had his regular checkup, and they called us and they said, well, we're just really surprised. Uh, you're not really supposed to have any antibodies, and Dan had never had any antibodies. And suddenly he's got like 82% uh, antibodies. And so they told us to, uh, to handle, it turns out it was a type 2 rejection, and they said the best way to do that is come to the hospital. So we did. And the, the what they do is they either give a rabbit serum or a horse serum. The horse serum is called Atgam. And Dan had the Atgam because the rabbits, Dan had been exposed to rabbits and that would not have been a good one to do. So they did that. And they said, well, if we, if we, and that's to handle the rejection. And they said, if we don't get it right, um, we don't get this right, we could cause, this could cause skin cancer or infection um, everywhere. And so what that means is that your anti-rejection drugs reduce your ability of the immune system to, to detect and defend against cancer. And um, Dan was at a higher risk for skin cancer because he's male, he um, had fair skin, he had some prior skin damage. Um, and there's certain uh, post-transplant medications that can make the skin more vulnerable to skin damage. And so you're taking these meds to suppress your immune system so you don't get rejection. But at the same time, there's such an increased risk for skin cancer, like 100 times more than the normal population with a lung transplant. And when Dan heard about all these antibodies and stuff, he was just really tearful and I just said, you know, Dan, I said, let's, let's just be thankful to God and just reframe this because Dan had been invited earlier before this to have some, a coping skills class post-transplant. And he was doing that. He was in the midst of that class and he was going to quit that class. I said, I think that, you know, you can put to work all that that class has said. And again, that wasn't a planned class. That was something new Duke was doing and you can look at that and say, okay, God provided that for us. And so we just started praying Hebrews 111, that faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance of what we do not see. And so we were, we were doing that. And then in between all this, I uh, ended up having a second macular hole, which is a, the vitreous separates from your eye and I needed surgery. I, well, I was just so thankful that we could squeeze that in in between all these Duke visits. And we're going to stop here for part one of Jane's story. Jane and Dan have been through a grueling process of a double lung transplant. You know, just saying those words in no way conveys the experience. So I'm glad Jane has shared the details of some of those days. 
At this point, Dan is now back to doing the things he enjoys, and they're thankful for the miracle of coming through such a difficult journey with faith intact. I wish this was the end of the story, but as you know, it is not. Listen on the next episode this Sunday when Jane shares a turn of events that led to Dan's death because it was not lung-related. And if you're a caregiver, you can especially relate to what Jane went through. And she and I both hope it brings you a sense of acknowledgement of how hard it is and how heavy the stress of trying to be perfect can be. You'll also hear Jane share what a pastor at our church said, from great pain comes great purpose. Please know that where you are today is not your forever. You'll hear the steps Jane has taken through the pain to begin the healing process. And your journey works, or the work of your journey for this week? Well, you showed up, you listened, and that's not always easy to do. So you've already completed your journey work. Just make sure that you come back for episode 58 and the final part of Jane's story. And here are other ways to help you move forward. Join the private Facebook group, The Grief Group for Christian Women. Over 100 members strong now, you will feel welcomed and supported by faith-filled Christian women walking out the hardest time of their lives. This group provides a place where other Christian women get it and can support you in a way that those around you cannot. You can also purchase the workshop, the What to Do After the Loss of a Loved One workshop. It's the perfect time to take it. Now, this is not a one-day workshop. I recommend it be taken over four weeks because it's broken into four sections like a mini support program. It gives you direction and action steps towards healing. It's what you need in your first year or if you feel stuck. And it's going to help strengthen you through the holiday season. If you don't have a church home, visit my church, opendoorchurch.com. Links to everything you need are going to be in the show notes or on the website, www.grief2greatday.com. In the meantime, remember who holds your future and know that you are not alone. And keep on coming back to the house, keep sitting on the couch, and keep taking steps, however small, slow, or ugly, towards your healing. Thank you for being here today, for showing up. If this podcast has given you hope, encouragement, or helped you in any way, share it with a friend, either in a text or on your social platforms. Also, please subscribe, rate, and leave a written review on iTunes. It's a huge blessing for me to know that you're out there. Lastly, and this is important, you are not alone. Connect with me on the Grief to Great Day website, the link is below, and sign up for our free newsletters. I want to be able to pray for you by name. Remember, grief isn't something you're going to get over but a great day is something you can get to.